Good morning, church. So it's awesome to be with you today. We're a little over halfway through our sermon series, Habits of Grace, Experiencing Christ Through the Spiritual Disciplines. And I have the great honor to preach a sermon to you today on preaching. So that's a good one to come out of the gate with, I suppose. So, but we preach all the time. We preach to our spouses, our kids, um, our family, friends, coworkers, neighbors. Uh, we do this in person, over the phone, via text, social media, uh, from the safety of our couch. Um, meetings, lunches, Christmas dinners. And we're constantly being preached to in that same regard. Podcasts, talk radio, politicians, Twitter, you know, actual, like legit preaching, preaching sermons from the pastors that we love. So what do I mean by preaching? So preaching is the authoritative declaration and explanation of a particular truth. And it sounds very scientific, but we'll, we'll figure it out. When we preach, we're trying to do something called binding the conscience. And now this is different than just offering your opinion on something. We're attempting to persuade someone of something, all the while appealing to an authority that is the thing that actually gives it power and strength. My kids, and I can't believe in my first sermon I'm already using my kids as an illustration. <laughs> so, sorry kiddos, daddy loves you. I'm daily preaching to my kids about how they must obey their beautiful, sweet, kind, loving, long-suffering saint of a mother. <laughs> and every time I'm attempting to bind their conscience to that truth, obey your mother. This is a law in our house. And when the barrage of why, 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 uh, come out of their adorable, disobedient faces. <laughs> I will often use the timeless trump card that my father used and many fathers before him have used because I said so. <laughs> right. Translation, because I hold the keys to your life and joy. Right? The food, the house, your next unicorn mermaid-themed birthday party, they're all under my authority. I work to sustain them. I pay for them. I repair and replace the things. So the application for them is that they need my authority. What's the difference between that and those other examples, say, of social media influence and the other preaching we experience? What's the difference between all of that and this that happens on a Sunday morning? Why is this valuable? Why is this needed? And why is this commanded not only to be done, but to be listened to and replicated? Open your Bibles with me to Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him 
in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? This is the word of the Lord. Now, some of you with uh, ESVs, observant folks, may have noticed that I skipped over the word of, maybe in your translation, in the second question. But if you look carefully, if you have a study Bible, the translator should have put a little note there saying, it's not in the Greek manuscript, but we thought it would go in here for ease of reading. But I'm not going to put it there because it's not in the Greek. So anyway, so let's read it one more time. How then will they call on him? Who? Christ. So how will they call on Christ in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear who? Christ without someone preaching. It's not just the message of Christ that goes forward in preaching. It's Jesus himself going forward. That's the importance of that. There is something supernatural about the preached word of God. Christ can be heard when the people of God preach. The King of kings and Lord of lords speaking to and through us. The preached word of God is the word of God. And that's pretty remarkable And it's vital. So this morning, we're going to look at the kind of preaching that we need. And the first kind is the preaching of the shepherd. And this kind of preaching, firstly, is rooted in the authority of God. The Apostle Peter, when writing writing of how Christians are to care for each other, writes, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances or words of God. That's heavy. That's mighty. That's grace. And let me explain. The preaching your pastor does on a Sunday is different than other kinds of preaching because the authority and power that he stands in is not his own. It's not the churches. It's not the elders. A man gets up into the pulpit in order to declare, thus saith the Lord, this is what God wants you to hear this morning, the utterances of God. And he does this by the command and in the authority of God. Wow, that seems a mite arrogant there, Pastor Josh. Right? Thus saith the Lord, even old-timey sounding. Like, really? Yes, Really? So where does the authority come from, you might ask? Well, Christ himself, speaking to the apostles, Jesus said, whoever listens to you, listens to me. God calls men to the office of overseer or shepherd or elder or pastor, whatever you might call it. God calls men to that office. But, and they're not superheroes. They don't have a special line to God that other Christians don't. They're still sheep, but sheep called to lead the flock after Christ, the chief shepherd. So this is one of the gracious ways God takes care of his sheep. 
he calls all Christians to join with and submit to his authority and power and leadership in a local church through his under-shepherds, the pastors. And if faithful men of God are faithfully preaching the word of God to bring glory to Christ, you expect God to speak through them to you. Amen? Now, caveat, your pastor's preaching is not the same as Scripture. Okay? We're not a cult. We don't worship leaders and preachers. Because as Peter said, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. And that assumes God's authority and power, not man's. And church, you have a job to do too. Like the noble Jews of Berea in Acts 17, who examined the scriptures daily to see if what the preachers were saying was true. Because God does not contradict himself. Amen? Now let me ask you, have you ever felt like a pastor or a preacher was speaking directly to you in his sermon? Like you're just hitting every nail on the head. You're like, did he bug my house? Is he stalking me? Like, how does he know this? Maybe he pointed out a particular sin. Or he encouraged you in your faith when you desperately needed it. Maybe he helped you to see that you don't fully trust the gospel, but now Christ is vivid to you, tangible, present, and worthy of your life. Have you ever experienced that? I have. This kind of heart-piercing spiritual sniping isn't actually done by the preacher. It's not to discredit the man. Uh, even with all of the hard work and study and preparation and prayer and repentance, this particular brand of spiritual surgery is only possible because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who shows you your need for Christ to save you, and he changes you to be more like Christ. He sanctifies you. And now remember, the Holy Spirit is not some force. He is the unique third person of the Trinity, equal to the Father and Son in power and glory and omniscience. That means he knows everything. And he knows the true condition of your soul and is able to reach in and transform it. The Holy Spirit, who spoke through the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New, now dwells within us, the people of God. And the Holy Spirit loves to preach. We're shown this all over the New Testament. The apostles went out to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit spoke through them, and this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to the glory due Jesus Christ. And how does the Holy Spirit bear witness about Christ? Through the faithful, Christ-exalting preaching of the Word of God. So, the preaching of the shepherd is always gospel-centered. It's not enough just to call someone to obedience to God and His commands. There isn't power in principles. The power is in the one who has the authority to enforce those principles. Without an authority, without a judge, laws don't matter. There's no consequences, you know. Sure, they can be helpful, but ultimately on their own, at best, it's just good advice, maybe. Take it or leave it. Maybe flourish a little bit. Yeah, who cares, you know. But true preaching should always point you to Christ as your only solution and Christ as the key to every text of Scripture. If not, and this is the dangerous part, it's really teaching people that the Bible is primarily about them. But it's not. The main point of all of Scripture is Jesus Christ, the eternal King of glory. So if, so if the preaching is rooted in the authority of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit and gospel-centered, we should expect God to speak to us every Sunday. Expect the illumination and conviction of sin. Expect to have a clearer picture of the absolute worthiness and glory of Jesus. Expect him to open our ears to hear his truth and our hearts to accept it. We can expect that every week. And why? Because God's word is alive. And it's alive because it's the word of the living God. We worship a God who can and does speak to us. Not just speak to us, but he's a personal God who speaks to us personally. Well, that addresses all the paid professionals, right? Great. What about the rest of us? The second kind of preaching we need is the preaching of the flock. We sing a lot of songs here. We sing about creation and the problem of sin the redeeming work of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection, our restoration, and his return. We sing about God's holiness, his faithfulness, wrath, justice, grace, and peace. But have you ever wondered why? Like, Why do we sing songs on Sunday? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us in a couple of places. Firstly, in Ephesians 5, he writes, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in his letter to the Colossians, he tells them 
to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Addressing Sounds awful formal, right? That's what politicians do. That's what speeches are, right? It's prepared. It's rehearsed. It's, you know, it's a lot of work. And teaching, man, teaching's best left to the professionals with degrees, right? Outsource that. And admonishing, as in rebuking, jeez, it's a little fire and brimstone-y, right? We think that addressing, teaching, and admonishing is the job of the preacher or the pastor. And it is, and he should, amen? But Paul says, so should we. So the preaching of the flock means singing to God and each other. Whoa, though. Wait a second there, Pastor. Did you just say sing to each other? I thought this was worship. Are we supposed to be singing to God, right? You know, vertical worship. Well, yes. But yes, and. Because we learned about this in Pastor Matt's second sermon on uh, Psalm 23. In the first three verses of the famous psalm, David says, he makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul, and he leads me some more. This is sheep talking to sheep about the shepherd. But in verse four, there's a significant grammatical change. He says, you are with me. David is now talking to his shepherd. The shepherd goes from being out front and leading to now standing side by side and walking with the sheep. And the whole book of Psalms switches back and forth between these relationships of songs about from sheep to sheep or sheep to shepherd. So, our first point of addressing, our first command was to address. So let's look at the first song we sang today. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. And Alleluia is just a nice, succinct way of saying, Praise the name of God, the name above all names. Alleluia. That's what's encapsulated there. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, oh, praise him. Praise the name of the Lord above all names. This song is creatures, you and me commanding all of creation to worship their creator. There isn't a vertical word in the entire song. It's simply horizontal addressing. Yet when we sing it, God deems it worship. And Christians have been singing this song, I don't know if you can see, since 1225 A.D., about 800 years And the people of God have been singing this song for over 2,500 years in its original form and its inspiration, Psalm 148. Let's read this. 
Praise the Lord. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, sun and moon, shining stars, great sea creatures in all the deeps, fire, hail, snow, mist, stormy wind, mountains, hills, trees, beasts, creeping things, and flying birds, kings, princes, rulers, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise what? The name of the Lord. Why? For His name alone is exalted. Hallelujah. Okay? So that's addressing. Now teaching. We're going to look at a much newer song by comparison. Uh, But first we're going to read these passages from Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You, who once were slaves of sin, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now here are some lyrics from the song Hail the King. We have been justified by faith through Jesus Christ. It's only by His grace we stand. Once bound by sin and shame, now slaves to righteousness, our faith perfected by his love. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the glory of God. Congratulations, you now have a working knowledge of the doctrine of justification. And you get that on Sundays from your brothers and sisters preaching it to you in song. And justification, in other words, just is how we're made right with God. And that's an important thing to understand and grasp, an anchor to hold to. This song also reminds us that our hope of the glory of God isn't wishful thinking because it's found in the finished work of Jesus. His work perfectly accomplished, and if you place your faith in him, when you die, you will be with him. It's a promise. This song not only teaches us, but it also helps prepare each other for death. You're not just a choir, you're morticians. Okay? And our last one, admonishing. The song Hallelujah, What a Savior has some very sobering lyrics about who we really are in contrast to Christ. Guilty, vile, and helpless, we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Praise the name of the Lord, the name above all names. Hallelujah, what a savior. Could you imagine calling somebody guilty, vile, and helpless just to their face? Like that's, that's a pretty strong rebuke, right? But when we sing it together, it becomes rebuke and confession. There's a mutual guilt and vileness and helplessness that we're admitting to when we sing it to each other. God, by his grace, gave us songs to make this kind of strong confrontation both possible 
and regular. So why do we sing these songs, these sermons, through poetry? Well, we do them in order to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts by letting the word of God dwell in us richly with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Music is an incredible memorization tool. How did you learn your ABCs? How did you learn this, all of the states' names? Your presidents or the books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right? Now, how many of you can recite entire chapters of books? How many of you could do karaoke without the screen? Right? Most of you. We could probably recite hundreds of songs from memory. Songs we may not even know that we know all the lyrics of. But when the song starts, it comes out. God gave us songs to help get his word into our hearts to live there, to dwell, to tabernacle, to stay. So our songs must be deeply rooted in Scripture, and that's exactly what psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are. They're the Word of God. This could read, Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. Songs are just, psalms are just the songs of the Bible. We have a whole book of them called the Psalms, but at the same time, a third of the Bible is poetry. You can put a melody to that and sing it, and it is worship. And hymns doesn't mean old churchy songs. Hymns means taking other scripture besides the songs of scripture and putting them to melody for the sake of memorization and discipleship. And spiritual songs are just spontaneous hymns. They're used to serve a moment and to meet a need. I can't tell you how many times when faced with hardship and pain that a psalm or a hymn has come to memory and bringing with it peace and comfort and perspective. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, it was the psalms that he quoted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Into your hands I commit my spirit. These are songs from his youth. And when we have peace, and we can have peace amongst the sheep because of this, these songs help us to see our mutual need for Christ and our shared identity as his adopted children. Our, God, our songs, like preaching, must point us to the word or the gospel of Christ, because he is the one that we are to be thankful to the Father for. And how do we grow in our thankfulness of Christ? By growing in our knowledge of who he is and what he's done. That's the refrain of just about every song in scripture, by the way. When you read the Psalms, it's always about what God has done for us, and we're praising him for that. We're not singing about ourselves. We can't offer anything, but we're constantly 
being reminded of what God has done. He has delivered us from the land of Egypt. He has delivered us from slavery. He has de- All of that is foreshadowing to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's what our, sermon, our songs, our sermons to each other need to be about. So we need the preaching of the flock. Next, we need the preaching of each sheep. Looking back at Romans 10, Paul says in the next verse, and how are they to preach Christ unless they are sent? Our temptation is to want to be heard, understood, obeyed, and respected. So we preach to convince people of our authority. To preach the good news of us. To make ourselves little kings and queens of our small dominion. But the point of Sundays and our lives is to worship and glorify the king of the universe. We gather to hear the preached word, to respond in preaching to one another in song, to the glory of God, so that what? We can forget it the moment we walk out the door. No, we do that so what? So that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly. And what are we to do with that word, the gospel, that dwells in us richly? We are to preach it. We are to preach it first to ourselves and then to others. The gospel is our primary tool to fighting sin. If the gospel dwells in us richly, we are then like soldiers ready and alert to both see sin coming and to destroy it. Preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, multiple times, over and over again, makes us become more dependent on Christ and at the same time emboldened to preach the good news to our families, our friends, and our neighbors. And we can do this boldly because its power doesn't come from us. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can preach the gospel with boldness because of the authority in whom it rests. It's not just our opinion. It's the power of God unto salvation, and if Jesus has all authority, the world has none. Amen? So we can go out in boldness as sheep, preaching to new sheep, knowing that our shepherd, with all power and authority, is with us and will speak through us. And now our last point. 
the preaching that leads to preaching. We all fail at preaching the gospel like we should. So what do we need? The gospel. It's very simple. This is really helpful. The gospel, which is the good news that Jesus preached the word of God perfectly. He did it by faithfully worshiping God on the Sabbath by sitting under the preachers of his day and singing with and to the people of God. In his ministry, he preached in the city streets, on riverbanks and mountaintops, and he did it always pointing people back to the word of and the glory due the Father. He faithfully preached knowing it would get him socially ostracized that it would offend people's sinful sensibilities and that ultimately it would get him betrayed, mocked, beaten, and killed. And on that cross, he took upon himself the sins of our cowardice, of our glory-stealing and self-preaching, our attempts to depose him of his kingship and every other sin we have or ever will commit. He took them upon himself and let the wrath of an all-holy God be poured out upon him. All the wrath that we deserved poured out on our sinless Savior. But we don't worship a dead preacher. On the third day, Jesus rose, claiming victory over sin, death, and the grave. And because he did that, you now have the unconditional love and acceptance of God the Father. Amen. And we get to spend eternity in God's glorious presence. And to the extent that you hear the good news of Jesus and believe him, you will want to proclaim the good news of Jesus and see others believe him too. In other words, if you hear Jesus, you will proclaim Jesus. Again, simple. If we're regularly hearing the gospel preached to us by our pastors, by our church body, and to ourselves, we will preach it to others. As Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the gospel should be so abundant in our hearts that it's overflowing and we can't help but talk about it. And as the word of God goes forth, as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And Jesus says in Revelation 21, Behold, I am making all things new. And he is doing that by the power of his proclaimed word to the salvation of sinners and the restoration of all of creation. The gospel brings the world under the subjugation of the rightful king, the one with all the authority. The king, 
Jesus Christ. So, be here. Be here to hear Christ on Sundays. Be here to sing Christ to the saints. It's a means of grace in your life. Learn how to apply the gospel to your life and the lives of those around you from the preaching. Fellowship with your brothers and sisters in conversation that makes much of Christ and his work in your life. This is a habit of grace to prioritize. On the back of your handout, you'll see some uh, homework recommendations. Do it. It'll change your life. It will. Prioritizing God's priorities for you enables you to actually live life to its fullest. And now looking back at my kids, children, obey your mother. But in that, my authority was what? It was me. Because I said so. And there's a sliver of godly truth to that. But if you take that sliver and you stretch it into a pedestal, if, you, if that's all you ever preach to your kids or to people around you, if your authority and ultimately you are what is being preached, you are missing the gospel. We need to hear the gospel, and so do our kids. So when you say to them, because I said so, make sure you finish the thought. Kids, obey your mother because I said so, because that's what God says to do. And when you don't, it's sinning against God, and our sin separates us from him. But he sent Jesus. And Jesus obeyed not only his earthly mother and father, but our heavenly father perfectly, even unto death on a cross as a sacrifice for us. And now our sins are forgiven so we can obey joyfully and glorify God in our obedience. Isn't that awesome? Now, stop jumping on the couch. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?